Welcome back to ADHD Money Talk, the show that helps dynamic but distracted ADHD brains take back control over their money in order to stress less, live a more enriching life, and open up new and amazing possibilities. And I am your humble and very ADHD host, Dave DeWitt, and I am thrilled to be back with you guys for another edition of the podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about a few different things. I'm going to start off by talking about, I just can't get it off my mind how awesome this book was that I read called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And it's definitely a classic book that has its fans and also has its detractors. But I found this book to be immensely interesting and helpful for me to really think about like getting out of my own head. And I'm going to share some of my favorite concepts from the book and read a couple passages and just talk about like what I've been dealing with with my own head trash and inability to sort of escape the confines of compulsive thinking about stuff that I really should not be thinking about. And then I'm going to talk about the three ways to build wealth. There's really only three ways to build wealth. Also talking a little bit about what wealth even really means to you because sometimes when I say, why do you want to build wealth? Sometimes people will tell me, well, I don't really want to build wealth. I don't need wealth. My only pushback to that is, well, maybe you don't want wealth in the sense of having nice things and flashy things and having wealth just for the sake of having wealth. What is the purpose of you having wealth? Is it to give back to society? Is it to create generational wealth so you can create a better foundation for your kids and future generations of your own family? So it's figuring out what is wealth mean to you doesn't have to mean flashy rings and cars and chains and diamonds and big houses and mansions. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And guys, I would really love for you to ask me some questions to answer on the show. So if you go to ADHDmoneytalk.com, there's a contact page at the top. You can click on that and ask me a question. You can ask me a question on Instagram, ADHDmoneytalk. Just direct message me and I'll respond to you. And I may even answer the question for you there and then also on the show. On ADHDmoneytalk.com, there's also a voicemail option. You could do a voicemail so you could actually hear yourself on the show. That happened only one time so far. It'd be fun to do that again. So if you could do that, that'd be great. And you can also just email me at dhdewitt at dewittcm.com. There's many ways. If you're on the newsletter, you can just respond to the newsletter, email every week, um, and just ask a question, any question at all. It could be a question that you think is really stupid. It could be a question that because if, if you think it's stupid, I guarantee you it's not. And I guarantee you there's a, lots of other people with the exact same question as you. And so just ask away. Like, there's nothing too simple. There's nothing too complex. I would like to just help out as much as I can. And it's fun to get feedback. And now, let's talk about this book, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. The overall gist of this book is just about becoming present and understanding that the only thing that actually exists is this very moment, the moment that you are living. I'm going to start off by reading this passage. Have you ever experienced, done, thought, or felt anything outside of the now? Do you think you ever will? Is it possible for anything to happen or be outside the now? The answer is obvious, is it not? Nothing ever happened in the past. It happened in the now. Nothing will ever happen in the future. It will happen in the now. What you think of as the past is a memory trace stored in the mind of a former now. When you remember the past, you reactivate a memory trace, and you do that now. The future is an imagined now, a projection of the mind. When the future comes, it comes as the now. When you think about the future, you do it now. Past and future obviously have no reality of their own. Just as the moon has no light of its own, but can only reflect 
the light of the sun, so are past and future only pale reflections of the light, power, and reality of the eternal present. The reality is borrowed from the now. And so I just find this passage so strikingly accurate because it really is true, isn't it, that there is nothing, no feeling, no vision you have, nothing ever exists except for the very exact moment that you are existing in at this moment. Now, at risk of sounding very repetitive, let me also just talk about some of my favorite sort of concepts from this book and then tell you about like what I'm doing to actually practice some more presence. One of the things he wants you to do, the reader to do, is when you're trapped in your head thinking about stuff, to actually witness yourself thinking. So like witness yourself as a third party, envision yourself seeing yourself sitting in a room thinking about the things you're thinking about. When you do this, you may notice that the things that you're thinking about that may be causing you stress or anxiety subside a bit. And then when they do subside, you experience a moment of what Eckhart calls no mind, which can be a very peaceful thing, but he says how it will only last a few seconds at first. But if you keep practicing this, it can get better and better. And he says, if you get to the point where you ultimately find yourself chuckling at what your mind thinks, just like you would chuckle at the silly things that a kid says, then you know you've kind of made some progress because you're realizing that whatever it is in your mind you're thinking about isn't really that big of a deal or it's silly to even be thinking so much about this. He also says, you know, when you find yourself stuck in your mind to use meditation, and, you know, this is something that I definitely try and do, but like, he says, like, walking up the stairs, Try and feel every step of the stair, you know, as much as you possibly can. If you have no shoes on, try and feel, you know, the carpet fibers going in between your toes as you're walking up the stairs. And by the time you get to the top, whatever you were thinking about before may have just gone away and it might not come back for a while. And if you practice this more and more, you might become more present. I really do like the book because it has a sort of question and answer format. So the editors of the book kind of pose questions or resistance to some of his ideas, and then he answers them. And so when he was questioned in the book about if thinking is essential to the survival of like the human race, Eckhart talks about how he believes that like 80 to 90% of thinking in humans is compulsive, useless, and destructive. And says that if you begin observing your thinking as that third party, you may find this to be true, and that the thinking is often very negative and causes a leakage of vital energy. And I really relate to this in a big way because when I'm stuck in rumination, I mean, obviously we all know this for those of us that have rumination issues, there is no productive end result of a rumination. It really solves no problem. It does nothing to progress us towards any goal, towards any level of satisfaction or to any sort of clarity at all. So he says that in compulsive thinking, and I really do kind of relate to this and kind of think this is true. I do think this is true. He says compulsive thinking is an addiction. Because an addiction is when you feel you have no control over the thing and cannot stop it. And just like addiction, if you're addicted to drugs or something, it gives you a sense false of pleasure that invariably turns to pain. So I do a lot of times understand and feel like this, like when I'm thinking about something, it's satisfying the very need for my brain to have some sort of clarity on something, but I never actually get that clarity and it's very self-sabotaging. So he also talks about how compulsive thinking The addiction to thinking happens because it helps keep our ego alive. And our ego is formed from our identification with our mind, meaning like it took me a while to kind of get this, and I still don't really fully get it. We derive our sense of self from our thinking, and we must keep thinking to keep our ego alive. And the ego 
is constantly looking back into the past to keep the survival of the ego and our self-worth, our self-image alive. And we keep projecting ourselves forward as well, picturing ourselves in the future to keep that ego alive and keeping our sense of self intact. But he talks about how we are so caught up in the past and future, we think, well, just as soon as this happens, or once I get this job, once I do this, then I'll be happy. But then it never happens. When that does happen, we're not actually happy. We're thinking about the next thing. He talks about how true liberation, happiness, peace comes from being present, truly present, experiencing and accepting what is in front of us. And one of the most fascinating concepts from this book as well that really helped me put into perspective some of my bad habits with overthinking and whatnot is that just accepting and experiencing what is in front of me as what it is. It's the reality. It's my life situation is that, you know, I have to deal with something. I turn it into a problem. My problems are created as a problem in my mind. I don't have to frame it as a problem. I can just frame it as a life situation that will be dealt with one way or the other. And so let me finish off this little segment with one more passage from the book. And this is related to this whole idea of we don't really have a problem unless we make it a problem. He says, it is impossible to have a problem when your attention is fully in the now. A situation that needs to be either dealt with or accepted, yes. Why make it into a problem? Why make anything into a problem? Isn't life challenging enough as it is? What do you need problems for? The mind unconsciously loves problems because they give you an identity of sorts. This is normal and it is insane. Problem means that you are dwelling on a situation mentally without there being a true intention or possibility of taking action now and that you are unconsciously making it part of your sense of self. You become so overwhelmed by your life situation that you lose your sense of life your sense of being, or you are carrying in your mind the insane burden of a hundred things that you will or may have to do in the future instead of focusing your attention on the one thing that you can do now. And so because me and my ADHD brain is so wired to want to have a problem at all times, it almost needs a problem to feed on It's tiring. It's exhausting. And when he says it leaks you of vital life energy, I totally feel that. And I feel that's part of the reason why I end most of my days feeling probably a lot more tired than, you know, a neurotypical peer would feel. When I read this book, I was kind of obsessed with it, talking about it to all my family members and my fiance and everything. What I started doing, and which I need to get back to doing again to some extent, is when I'm faced with a rumination or an issue or something that's stuck in my mind that's causing me stress or anxiety. I say, and I'm so like, let's say I'm sitting on the couch trying to pay attention to a TV show with my fiance, but I can't get my head straight. Like I can't stop thinking about something that happened at work, a client situation, whatever it may be. I just think to myself, is this actually a problem right now? Like what is my body sitting here on this couch watching this TV? What is my current actual problem? And it just kind of makes me kind of chuckle to myself. Like I don't really have a current problem. There's nothing wrong with sitting on the couch watching TV right now. So that's what I'm just going to continue to do. And it just kind of helps me toss it out real quick and I can just sort of get back to focusing. And this is never going to be a permanent thing. It's going to be hard to sustain this, but something I'm going to continue to try and practice. And also just reeling my thoughts in and just feeling the couch, like literally just touching the couch and feeling it and thinking to myself, what does this really feel like? Like this, these fibers on this couch or feeling if I'm outside walking, like, trying to feel the the breeze like hitting the the hair on my arm, you know, just really focusing on like what is right in front of me, looking outside and trying to pick out a leaf and 
picture the shape of it. Like that that's staying present because it's keeping you very much focused on what is actually happening right now. So I highly recommend reading this book or listening to it, which is what I did. He actually narrates it. It's pretty cool. Um, I think it could help you for sure. I think our ADHD brains need more tools to be more present. And I think this is a great, a great read and it helped me a lot and it's going to continue to help me. It really actually changed my perspective on a lot of things. And I will put a, a link in the show notes for the book on Amazon or Kindle or whatever. All right. So now the main topic for today, and this is going to be shorter. It's really just a simple idea when we're talking about money. So we have ADHD. We struggle with money for all the reasons we've talked about. We're impulsive. We can't plan ahead. We don't really know what the purpose of saving money is. Every time we start saving, something happens that inevitably throws a wrench in our plan. And then next thing you know, we're back to the where we were before. It's all very frustrating, overwhelming, annoying. It stinks. And we just, it's too much. It's too much. Sometimes there's just too much complexity in figuring out what to do. Like, what should I do to get myself moving in the right direction financially, building wealth, building freedom, security, whatever it is that it truly is, whatever is truly important to you. If it is buying a Lamborghini, if that's truly important to you, then what can you do to get moving in that direction? Regardless, it comes down to building wealth. And we're going to say building personal, it's personal wealth, it's life wealth, it's financial wealth, it's a wealth of life experiences. That's what using money as a tool to help you create the life you want. That's what it's all about, in my opinion. That's what it's all about because money can be the most powerful thing to help us do the things we want to do. If we're right now giving away all of our money because we're very generous, well, what if you could have a grand plan to create so much wealth that you could then create true impact of giving giving back by creating a foundation or something? There's always some way you can amplify what's truly fulfilling and important to you using money as a tool. And so how do we build wealth? Well, there's only three ways. There's only three ways to increase our wealth. Saving money, making more money, and investing your money, or increasing the return of where your money is that is saved. So whenever you're thinking about like, what should I do and trying to make a complicated budget and doing all stuff, just remember that there's only three ways. Save more by spending less, save more by making more money, and then investing money that you have saved to increase the return of your money. I would say that using a blend of all three is not a bad place to sort of start thinking about this. With our ADHD brains, let's pick one thing to focus on. Really think about your situation. If you're an impulsive spender and you make a lot of money, you know, what you think is a lot of money, whatever that means for you, then one of the most effective ways for you to increase your wealth is to save more by limiting the amount of impulsive spending you do. And that will also, I think, increase your fulfillment and your feeling of control over your life by tackling that. That's one way. Also, if you make a good chunk of money and you don't impulsively spend, but you enhance your lifestyle to a point where you have a big house, you have an expensive car, then what you can do is save more on your next car, get a cheaper car, save money that way. Start trying to peel back your lifestyle. And I did a whole episode on lifestyle inflation. So go back and check out that episode. And then there may be some of you out there who really are feeling like you're not spending impulsively. You're feeling like, You are being pretty mindful with how you're spending your money. You don't have a big house. You don't have a big rent payment. You have small utility bills, but you still feel like you're under the gun all the time. This is not what most people want to hear, but it has to be said at times, and it's to look at your level of income. So many times the conversation I have with people ends up being a question of, 
How can we increase your income? Because everything else you're doing fine. You're not going to be able to build real sustainable wealth and have the financial security and independence you really want if you're only making, you know, $50,000 a year. And I know that might sound annoying to hear from me, but I'm just being being honest with you. Unless you're living the most minimalistic lifestyle ever and you're cool with that, then you can make it work probably. But if you want to have some semblance of a normal, if you want to have like a family and sort of have nice things and sort of be able to enjoy your life in the way that, you know, most Americans are with vacations and all this stuff, then you're not going to be able to to have your cake and eat it too if you're not making enough money. It is the unfortunate truth for many people out there. Now, that doesn't mean you can't make more money. I mean, one thing I would have you do is think about what you are really doing right now. Uh, what are you doing to make money? Is it what you really want to be doing? Take stock of all of your skills. Um, those are assets. You know, your skills, what are you really good at? Is there a way you can go get a degree on cheap that's going to actually give you a really, really good chance of earning more money after you get that degree. Having a plan for how to make more money can be the most important thing for some people who might be listening to this podcast. And there's, I did a whole episode on also ways to make more money on the side too, a side hustle, starting your own business, um, lots of different ways to increase your income. But for a lot of you out there, I'm just telling you that making more money can solve so many of your problems. And if you have already good frugal habits of not having a big expensive car, not having a big expensive rent and all that stuff, then you have great habits you know, sitting there ready for when you start making more money that you can start saving, investing, and truly building a super solid foundation for yourself. And don't be afraid to shop for a new job. Don't be afraid to ask for a raise at work. Don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. It's very difficult for us with ADHD sometimes to speak up and advocate for ourselves. So that would encourage you to, to have the courage to do that and to take stock of what you're good at and get compensated for the work you're doing, which is probably amazing work. Okay, so then next, investing. So we've covered saving more money, making more money, which both allow you to save more. The goal of both of those is to save more. Um, There's just two ways to skin that cat. And then the third way is with those savings is to invest it. And that's how you build wealth, whether that's investing in real estate, stocks and bonds, no matter what it is, it's finding a way to make your money do more than just sit there in a bank account where it won't even keep up with inflation. It will actually decrease your wealth if you just do that. So those are the three ways, the three ways to build wealth. Save more, earn more, invest it. Okay, so when you're thinking about what to do, pick one of those things, identify which one is the most important one for you, pick the one that you think you can tackle and focus on that and you should be getting to a better place. All right, so that's what I got for you guys today. Please reach out. We'll talk to you next week.